continuing our study of Romans chapter 9, verse 30. We're going to read down to chapter 10, verse 4. What shall we say then, that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word to us today. Well, the passage uh, that we're looking at this morning uh, destroys a couple of modern proverbs that I'm sure you're familiar with. Everyone has heard, all roads lead to the top of the mountain, meaning that all paths, all religions, uh, they all lead to God ultimately. And it's a a defense of religious pluralism. Or maybe you've heard... uh, uh, like I have, people say, well, I admire people of faith. Yeah, I've had friends I've known who were not particularly religious in any way say that. I, I admire people of faith. It didn't matter what faith, whether it was a Christian or a Buddhist. Uh, it was just someone who was devout. They admired people who were devout because they believed the, the other modern proverb that uh, you you've probably heard It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. Well, the idea fails to see that everyone has faith in something. We're, we're, as human beings, all trusting in something. We all have to put our faith in something. Perhaps many people have not put a whole lot of thought into their beliefs. But by default, they trust in themselves or trust in evolution or trust in whatever. Everyone has faith commitments that they make. But here in Roman, Paul in Romans, Paul demonstrates for us that these modern day beliefs that all roads lead up the mountain, uh, all, all get to the top, doesn't matter which path you're on. Uh, Paul demonstrates that these beliefs are not true. It doesn't matter what you believe because all roads don't reach the top of the mountain. A person can be very religious and zealous but completely miss the mark. Now the question before all of us today is, are we on the correct path? Is our zeal in the right place? Let's look at the case Paul puts before us today. Now just to put it into context, the first part of the chapter verse 6 down to verse 29, which we looked at last week, tells us that the reason anyone is saved at all is because of God's sovereign choice. But at the same time, what we're reading about in the passage that we're looking at today, it tells us that humans are responsible for their own unbelief. 
And that is what the passage before us stresses this morning. Why do these people not believe? Well, it's, it's on their heads. They've run full tilt in one direction, but they've gone in the wrong direction. They have rejected the truth, and they're going down the path, a path that is wrong, a path that will not lead them to their desired end. Now, you've got human uh, responsibility on one hand and divine sovereignty on the other, and the Bible makes it clear that both are true, and they go hand in hand. But in this section of Scripture, Paul shows how the Jewish unbelievers have missed the mark, have missed the way of salvation, even though they have had every advantage. It's because of their own unbelief. They're responsible for their own unbelief. We need to pay close attention to the text and ourselves to ensure that we don't make the same mistake as the unbelievers who are described here in chapter 9 and 10. Now just to sum up what the passage says very briefly, uh, verse 30, uh, Paul tells us that the Gentiles who did not seek righteousness have obtained it. You know, the, the Gentiles were not really interested in in righteousness or in a relationship with God, uh, but here they have, in a large part, have obtained it. They've heard the gospel and they responded to it. On the other hand, verse 31 tells us the Jews who did seek for righteousness, they haven't obtained it. They were very zealous to, to be righteous, but they've missed the mark. They've gone down the wrong path. They took the wrong road, and it has not led them to the righteousness they desired. Why not? Paul tells us in 32, because they pursued an impossible goal, righteousness by works, righteousness by their own works. They were trying to establish their own righteousness. In verse 32 and 33, says that the reason they have rejected the gospel is because their pride was offended by Christ and his salvation. They wanted to do it themselves. They didn't need a Savior. And so they've stumbled over the stumbling stone. We'll talk more about that in a moment. The Jews have a zeal for God, yes, but their zeal is misplaced. And it's mistaken. They recognized their need for righteousness, but they tried to create their own righteousness. And that's a mistake. Because it says in verse 4, once we grasp the radical nature of Christ's work, it's the end of all legalism. It's the end of, of the law, following rules to gain God's acceptance. Now, how are we today liable to be like the Jews in Paul's day? Well, the mistake made by the Jews, as Paul describes it here, is this. They did not pursue righteousness by faith. Rather, they pursued righteousness by works. And verse 3 tells us, verse 32 tells us that, verse 3 tells us they sought to establish their own righteousness. They're very zealous about it, but it was misplaced zeal. Now the ultimate question that anybody uh, needs to answer uh, any human being, is how can a holy and righteous God accept holy and unrighteous people? The answer that these Jews that Paul is referring to and most people today in our world 
give to that question is this. Well, I hope to be accepted by God by establishing my own righteousness. Uh, I'm zealously pursuing good works, and when I die, I hope that I have earned God's favor. That's the way most people think about these things. It's kind of the natural way to think of, of it. I mean, everything in our lives is, is, works that way, doesn't it? We go to work, we earn a paycheck. And we work hard, the harder we work, you know, we climb up the corporate ladder. You know, anything that is in our path, we put a little more effort to it, we'll get results. And that's the way people think often of Christianity or of, of God in general. But that's erroneous thinking. As verse 31 says, Israel pursued a law, uh, Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Anybody who seeks to establish their own righteousness, pursues a law of righteousness, will fail. It's a futile and impossible attempt. It's a fool's errand. As Paul said earlier in Romans, quoting from the Psalms, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. I mean, that's, that's pretty unequivocally stated right there. I mean, he lays it down. Nobody is righteous. And you can't make yourself righteous. You can't put the genie back in the bottle. It's impossible. Though yet people try. They try. I'm going to just try to do better. Try to do better. That's not true Christianity. Augustine echoed the sentiment that I just read from Paul, uh, Romans 3, Augustine said, Of our own, we have nothing but sin. Of our own, we have nothing but sin. You know, what do we have to offer God? Nothing but sin. Even, as Isaiah says, even our best, even our righteousness is like filthy rags. We need to repent of our righteousness, not only repent of our sins, because our righteousness is tainted with sin. In Romans, Paul has been describing for us how we can be justified, how we can be made right with God, how we can have God look at us and say, well, that person's righteous. How does that happen? Well, it doesn't happen through establishing our own righteousness. It's not through our good works. It's not by our works at all. Rather, it's by faith in Christ. He is our righteousness. He has done everything that we need. He is the one who has fulfilled all righteousness. He always did everything that God had commanded. He fulfilled every commandment. And not only that, but he did every duty. He never failed to do what was right he never did what was wrong. Every moment of every day, every second that he lived, always had the right attitude, always had the correct motivation for everything. A perfect life. And his ultimate act of obedience was to die on the cross in our place. He hung there to pay for our unrighteousness, our sins. And he was raised from the dead.
because the, the grave had no claim on him because he was sinless. And now he is our mediator. He's the one we trust in, not ourselves. He is our righteousness, and we must have him. Listen to how John Bunyan explains his conversion, how, it, how he really began to grasp his faith. One day, as I was passing into the field, this sentence fell upon my soul. Your righteousness is in heaven. And with the eyes of my soul, I saw Jesus at the, at the Father's right hand. There, I said, is my righteousness. So that wherever I was, or whatever I was doing, God could not say to me, where is your righteousness? Because it's always right before him. Always right before him. Because Christ is at the right hand of the Father. I saw that it is not my good frame of heart that made my righteousness better, nor yet my bad frame that made my righteousness worse. For my righteousness is Christ. Now my chains fell off indeed. My temptations fled away and I lived sweetly at peace with God. Now I could look from myself to him and could reckon that all my character was like the coins a rich man carries in his pocket when all his gold is safe in a trunk at home. Oh, I saw that my gold was indeed in a trunk at home in Christ my Lord. Now Christ was all my righteousness, sanctification, redemption. You think of that. I love that illustration he gives. My righteousness is just a few coins in the pocket. You know, a rich man might carry around a few coins in his pocket, but he's got his treasure hidden somewhere else in, in a safe place. John Bunyan says, my righteousness is really nothing. It doesn't amount to anything. My true righteousness is somewhere else. It's safe. It's with Christ. Augustine says, confess that you have all these things from God, that all the good you have is from him and all the evil from yourself. That's an that's a understanding that we owe it all to Christ. A everything. We have nothing, nothing in our hand, nothing in my hand I bring simply to that cross I claim, as the hymn says. Now why do people have a hard time believing this? this I mean, you think about, it's a pretty simple concept, the gospel, but it's hard to believe Maybe because it's so gratuitous. It's so, I mean, for God to just give it away freely, it seems too good to be true. And we think, well, I need to do something. I need to earn it somehow. No, you don't. The price has been paid. Come, buy without money, God says to his people. Now, if you look at the, the reason that people, another reason that people don't believe this or accept this is because of pride. And that was the case with the Jews here. When Paul says, uh, verse 33, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. He's quoting Isaiah there, uh, but he's saying they, they've stumbled over 
the stumbling stone. They've, they've, they've tripped over it. They, they don't want to accept the fact that they can't do it themselves. As I put on the front of the bulletin, this quote from Calvin, the first step towards obtaining the righteousness of God is to renounce our own righteousness. We're not bringing anything to God to be acceptable to him. We're, we're coming as sinners asking for his mercy. And it's completely free. And that's the only way we can get it. If we think that we've got to earn it somehow, we're missing the mark. If we're working really hard to try to make God like us, we're missing the mark. We're zeal without knowledge. That's why we have to be continuously reminded of the gospel so, so that we don't have zeal without knowledge because we tend to forget the gospel. We tend to forget that it's free. It's free grace. Now this will make a difference in your life, in, the, in, your, in your works, because you're no longer doing works to try to earn God's favor. You're doing works to bring glory and honor to your Savior, your Redeemer, the one who's done everything for you. It really puts more punch into your service to, to God and to others. You think about it. If you're doing your works to try to earn God's favor, pretty soon you're going to start begrudging God. That's what was happening in Galatia. Paul wrote to the Galatians. He said, where's your joy? I'm going to ask you one thing. Where'd your joy go? Now that they had started thinking, well, I've got to follow all these rules in order for God to like me and accept me, well, it became a burden. Well, I've, I've just got to do this. I've got to do this to earn God's favor. Have you ever been in a relationship where you were constantly working to try to earn someone's favor and yet you never got it? How miserable that is. You're, you're trying and trying and trying to please the other person and they'll never be pleased. That's how works, that's, what, that's how you will feel about God because God is holy and you will always know that your works are not good enough for him. You can't earn his favor. He gives it freely through Christ. So when we, when we understand that he loves us. He accepts us. Our righteousness is in heaven. We're accepted through what Christ has done by trusting in what he's done for us. It gives fuel to your, to your service to others and to the Lord. I mean, who wouldn't want to serve a God who just freely loves you and has freely given you everything? And when we, if we start thinking that my good works are what earns God's favor then we are taking away from Christ what is his. Our own works will begin to assume the role that should have been Christ's. You see? We're trying to earn God's favor. No. See, we're taking glory away from Christ because his works are what earned God's favor. His works. And he should get all the glory for that. So today as we come to the Lord's table we come remembering Christ's death. We, we come remembering what he did for us so that we can be accepted by God. We don't come with our own works. This in and of itself is not a good work that we're doing. 
we're coming to the table celebrating what he has done for us and, and the grace that he has showered upon us, the forgiveness that he lavishes upon us, all these things that are ours in Christ that he's given to us freely. We don't earn it. We didn't deserve it. He's given it to us, and we revel in it and celebrate it today. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you would help us to grasp grace. Lord, it's sometimes very difficult for us to, and we pray for your help. Help us to be fueled for service to you and to others, not to try to earn your favor. We can never do that, but to show you our deep gratitude and love for how you have showered your love and mercy upon us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.